Hello and welcome to The Flex. It's Matt St. Jean and Joe Howie here with you once again to bring you the best Friars coverage around. Joe, this, uh, this next week or so, from this Tuesday to next Tuesday, is the most important seven-day stretch the Friars have had in a long time. Got versus Xavier, versus Creighton, and then at Villanova with a chance to win the biggest regular season title. But the only reason that any of that is possible and that this week is as big as it is is because they pulled out a gutsy, gutsy comeback without their starting point guard out at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Joe, this game on Sunday did not go as either of us expected, but a win is a win. Yeah, that was... If you thought that Friars games were bad for the blood pressure, bad for your heart rate, um, yesterday's game was definitely... Definitely terrible for my my heart rate, Matt. We actually we watched the game together in Queens and um, we were both up and on our feet for the entirety of overtime and most of that second half. Just a gutsy, ballsy win Um, in the words of Raftery onions. I mean, Reeves with the late onions, Bynum with the onions, Watson with the onions dunking on people. It was that was a second half for the ages. Um, there's so much to break down. It was th- such a such a ballsy, gutsy, tough, gritty win. Let's get into it. Yeah. So the reason that it was as gritty of a win and as big of a comeback was because the Friars absolutely. Uh, well, if there's an opposite of shooting the lights out, I don't know. They, sh- they shot the lights on. At Hinkle Fieldhouse, uh, they couldn't buy a basket. The Friars hit their first two shots, got Nate Watson working inside. Seemed like they were going back to what worked against Butler back in January, which is just to pound the paint because the Friars have a big size advantage there. And then they fell off. Providence made one of their next 19 shots from the field. And Butler really got up big in this one. It was just, I mean, that was rough. There was a point where we're looking at each other and it's, all right. I mean, is this is this going to be the Marquette game all over again? That right there is as rough as a first half as we've seen in a long time from the Friars. But they turned it around in the second half. And I think the, one of the biggest parts of that, calling their last time out with 16 minutes left, having the players only meeting. I know this was at the top of your notes from this game. It was the top of my notes, Matt. Um, <clears throat> before we get into that, just to reiterate what you said, like th- this was a Butler team that was playing uncharacteristically and so, so anti-narratively, I don't think that's a word, <laughs> against the narrative, just so inspired yesterday. They got waxed by St. John's and with less than 48 hours turnaround, came back and were starting to beat down the Friars. I mean, there was really no better way to put that. Like, they were just handing it to us in that first half. Um, and then you're, th- this is the click right here. Uh, and Cooley alluded to this in the post-game press conference that he had trust in his guys. So much trust that he used his final timeout of the second half with 16 minutes to go and used it as a players-only timeout. The video is going around Friar Twitter right now. It's the it's a huddle of all the players, no coaches, led by Watson, Reeves, and Bynum. And I think probably, you know, we can break this video down in probably a 10 podcast series in and of itself. The thing that speaks the most to me is Al Durham is in street clothes. He's not playing. He's in the middle of the huddle screaming at everybody. Screaming, maybe not with, you know, anger, but screaming like leading, like taking charge, taking ownership. 
Like that to me says speaks volumes to this group. The guy that can't play is one of the most vocal people in the huddle. Like that is so intangible and so awesome. I I thought that was such a a cool move and such a nice piece because the next 16 minutes, the Friars played without a timeout and they were able to level the score and push it to overtime. That's ballsy right there. Yeah, it was absolutely massive. That's in a lot of ways what turned the tide. It got some fire back into the team. And once Providence started playing well, it just kept coming. All those shots they missed in the first half, they were making in the second half. The confidence was back. And I think this is a game, I mean, you're, you're without Al Durham. We can talk about the implications of that after. But, all right, you're down one of the guards that you're going to depend on. And you know who the guy is that they turned to in the first half? Andrew Fonts. He's the only guard that hit a shot from the field. And that was a huge shot, a wide open three that he was able to get. But it's not great when you go into halftime and the only guard that's at a basket for you is the walk on. And then they found they I mean they made up for it. Wait. And it also came with the defense. The defense got a lot of big stops when needed. Yeah, I mean <clears throat> The at, at halftime, we watched the stats come up on the screen and Butler was shooting the lights out. Providence was not. And for a team as talented as Providence and a team as inconsistent as Butler, I said to you, Matt, that's not a sustainable uh, field goal percentage for either for either squad at halftime. It, it was a tale of two halves. And it really like it really came down to it because. Butler's shooting cooled off in the second half. We started picking up shots that we missed in the first half that we normally make started falling in the second half. And I think what's so important to the dynamic of our guards hitting shots is the play of Ed Croswell and Nate Watson yesterday. And this is something that we were breaking down live is that when Croswell was in the game, there's less attention to him because he doesn't have the offensive presence as Watson. So that clears up space in the paint. That's what got Horkler that open look. And when Bynum drove down on under the hoop and dished it to Horkler in the corner. The Bynum had that lane because Croswell was pay, playing up and opened up space. Then, fast forward a few minutes later, Watson comes in. He starts getting double, triple teamed. As the wise senior does, he kicks out to Reeves. Reeves hits that step back three to cut the game 61-60. I, I just think the dynamic between the two of them is so integral. And if you're someone on Big East Twitter that doesn't think that Nate Watson's a first-team all-selection, you're a moron and you don't follow yeah. college basketball. You're yeah, an absolute just, moron. Yeah, and you could see after the game, too, Nate Watson was talking to the press. And, I mean, he gave a shout-out to every single one of his teammates, including Ed Croswell, the backup at his own position. Just there's no ego on this team whatsoever. It's Absolutely incredibly not. selfless. They were He was confident in his teammates, too. I mean, I think they knew that they had that in them to come back. That's what that player's only timeout was all about because <laughs> they just – they didn't have their game. It wasn't that Balder was doing anything crazy. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is being able to hit shots. That's what's going to win you games. A bad team can get bailed out by one hot shooter and vice versa. So they, they were able to find it. Joe, do you want to know what they shot after that timeout? Yes. 16 of 25. <laughs> <laughs> after starting 9 of 35, they shot 16 of 25 over the last 16 minutes of regulation plus overtime. And that's just, I mean, that's all it turning around on you. And that, from a big picture perspective, <laughs> that's kind of what stats is all about, too. You know that a team is going to hit. All right, you got... I don't know, 34% chance you're going to hit one of these three-pointers. 
Well, they used all of the bad luck. They, they used up all those misses early on and cashed in all the makes at the end, which I guess it really doesn't matter when you hit them. The points count all the same, whether it's the first minute or the last minute. But it's just crazy to see the team heat up like that. Yeah, it's just, again, and I talk about sustainability a lot, especially recently. Um, the, the shooting of the first half, it the poor shooting by the Friars and the hot shooting by Butler was just not sustainable, not sustainable in accordance with the profile of each team. Exactly. Um, and from the Butler side of things, too, man, you really got a feel for them. The, the the camera showed Chuck Harris, you know, in tears after the game. This is a Butler squad that's really been through the ringer. Um, and that is a tough pill to swallow, especially when you're someone, a, a young man, the age 18 to 22, you're, you're playing your heart out. You're up 19 on the top team in the conference to get pushed to overtime in your own building and lose by one. That sucks. I mean, I know the yeah, way as a tough. fan that it felt when we lost to Villanova at home, it probably felt t- 10 times worse for Butler to lose that game at home. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this was the biggest game of Butler season in a lot of ways. We're top dog in the Big East right now. You know that they're going to bring all the energy they have to try to beat you and get this win on their home floor. Honestly, I mean, that backcourt, the way that they played for Butler was impressive. Bo Hodges, Aaron Thompson, Chuck Harris. Harris had 17, Thompson had 16, Hodges had 13. For long stretches of the game, they were, I mean, our defense was not stopping them. But they uh, it dried up when it mattered. I think one of the other things to talk about coming out of this one, I think the Friars really missed Al Durham when you're talking about shooting from yep. the free throw line. The Friars were 12 of 24 on the day. Watson missed three. It was two of five. I'm going to kind of ignore that because he's your center. You don't care as much about that. Bynum was six of 11. Manaya was 0 for 4. You need at least three or four more makes between those two guys. And if that happens, this game is probably not going over them. But I think the way that they shot is kind of indicative of how the team was feeling and the confidence there. Because, I mean, there were points, even when the Friars started playing well at the end of the game and in overtime and they were hitting their shots, it was still shaky at points. Yeah, um, I think you're totally right, Matt. That's something I said to my brother, my dad in the kitchen this morning is that if we had Durham on the floor and we hit <laughs> more than 50 percent of our free throws, that's a five point game advantage. Friars, no overtime needed, um, especially you look at Manai going 0 for 4, Bynum 6 of 11, like you get three or four more of those to fall and overtime is not necessary. You win in regulation. But hey. You don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Um, hell of a game. Free throw shooting, you know, it's whatever. They'll get in the gym. They'll make their free throws. I think, too, if you look at Bynum and his free throw shooting, you got to, you gotta, you know, think, is that due to fatigue? He played the full 45 minutes in place of Al Durham, didn't sit once. Um, you just got to think at, at one point or another, like perhaps the the volume of Hinkle Fieldhouse, the – the rowdy fans behind the hoop, like uh, eventually the fatigue sets in and you're going to miss one of those free throws, especially when you don't get a breather and you really have no one else. You have no other option to run the point. Um, You you don't really have Alan breed as a sole point guard. He's more of a combo, true shooting guard. Bryson Goodine only comes in to shoot threes. Like unless you want fonts bringing the ball up, you needed buying him on the floor. I will say Bynum actually did not play the full 45 minutes. (laughs) He came damn close. He got subbed out with 16.09 to go in the first half and came back in with 15.41 to go. 
<laughs> so he missed 28 seconds in the first half, and that was it for him. He played the rest of the game. Uh, then that's an error on this box sheet. It says 45 right here. Oh, yeah, it has that wrong. I have the uh, the official Butler stats up right now. He played 44, and Manaya played 44. So, uh, yeah, both of those guys. Essentially, those are Iron Man efforts right there. If you're if you're within a minute of the full game, that's, oh, yeah. that's an Iron Man effort. So, yeah, Absolutely. huge props to them. But I think this does open up. I mean, it's, you know what? We got to talk a little bit more about a couple of things before I move on to what I was going to say next. The sh- the play from Noah Horkler at the end of regulation, he had two plays. He had that two from just inside the three point arc, which is just about the worst shot you can take. It's just the longest two you can possibly take to tie the game, and it went in. It's obviously yeah. a shot that Noah <laughs> likes. He was comfortable with it, but you watch it, it was just like, whew. And then the other end, he gets the block on Butler's game winning attempt. Uh, and the ball ended up going off of Butler and out of bounds there, which sent it to overtime. So two huge plays from Horkler. Yeah, I, I mean, even that overtime play from Horkler, too, where um, I think it's Taylor on Butler misses that three. Rebound goes to Manaya. Manaya dishes to Horkler. Horkler looks around, doesn't really see anybody open with a roughly two and change on the clock, launches it down court because in reality, you think, oh, he's frantically trying to pass it. But when you think about the situation, by the time the ball gets down court and someone from Butler recovers it, the clock is going to go off and that's game over. And Horkler, the veteran, the six year guy, was able to recognize that and identify, okay, if I just launch this down court, someone's going to go chasing for it, but it's going to be too late. And unless Butler pulls a hat trick out and heaves a a three quarter court, three quarter percent three quarter court. I don't even know what I'm going to say. 75 (laughs) percent of the court heave and it goes in. That's game. Um, so again, the, the seniority of this group, Matt, was on full display yesterday in the second half. I also I think you got to talk about Watson too. Twenty two yeah, points. Before we talk about Watson, I just want I do think that that move from Horker was a little bit of a panic move because <laughs> I think Manaya Manaya had the ball and, and went for the extra pass instead of getting fouled to try to get it to Horkler because Horkler is the better free throw shooter and it got knocked away and it just that it became pure chaos for about five seconds there. So I'm very thankful the ball stayed in bounds as long as it did and the clock ran out because that that ball goes out of bounds one or two bounces sooner and Butler does get at least one shot off there. Friars could could have held that ball and taken the free throws. So that was a little bit interesting. I didn't know what was going on for a second there, but you know what? At the end of the day, it works out. It's again a situation where if Al Durham's on the floor, I think it's a little bit clearer. All right, we're getting the ball to Al. They know what they're doing there. And I think there's a little bit of panic not knowing who was going to take the free throws and who was going to get fouled. Yeah, that is true. Um, And I think that also speaks to the youth of Butler. You know, I I talk a lot about, you know, the veteran presence on this team and returning everybody. But at the same time, I don't think anyone on Butler thought to foul. Um, And I could be wrong. I'll rewatch the clip, but it doesn't look like anyone on Butler is making a progressive effort to foul anyone on Providence. And if they did, the refs didn't call it or it wasn't aggressive enough. I actually um, I, I have it up in front of me right now. They tried to. They, well, here the first thing is that Horkler got the rebound and he looked to pass. He passes it to Manai. He could have just held that, waited to get fouled, but no, they 
Butler then, because Butler tried to foul him, but then he passes it and they go into a press and nobody sees Bryce Enzi, who <laughs> knocks the ball away from Orkler. And then I don't think he was throwing it away. Yeah, I think he was trying to throw it to Nate Watson and just it goes over his head. I don't know. It's it's pure chaos, whatever it is. But you know what? Maybe that was a little bit lucky for Providence, but I'll take it. A win is a win. Good teams create their own luck. If you're putting yourself in a position where Butler's scrambling like that late, you got to like that you're in that position anyway. And you know what, too? Um, that may be the, the uh, an instance of true luck for us. Um, but regardless, I think at one point or another, with respect to the national narrative, you have to realize that the fountain of luck runs dry eventually. You only get lucky so many times. And if you're going to refer to a team that's 22 and three on the season and nine and one in games decided by five points or fewer as lucky. And it's February 21st. You need to change your narrative because lucky doesn't erase a 19 point second half deficit. No lucky. The the Friars earned that deficit by playing poorly and then earned their way right back out of it by riding the ship. Right. Lucky doesn't justify 12 conference wins. Now, lucky is, Probably the correct term to describe what happened in those final three or so seconds. Sure. (laughs) If you want to refer to that isolated incident as lucky, fine. You can't refer to a 19-point second-half comeback as lucky. That's tough. It's gritty. It's ballsy. And it's a lot of talent and heart. That's that's where I think the national narrative needs to start changing. And uh, to, to be fair... It hasn't been as prevalent as of recently. I think there are other things going on in college basketball that have since taken the forefront. But again, there are still people out there that are calling us lucky. And it's just it's an incorrect narrative at this point. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Nate Watson because he earned Big East honors this week. He was on the honor roll. He had 22 points, led all scorers in overtime with four points. He had himself a day from start to finish. Yeah, and... and- I think this is the performance you need out of Watson down the stretch here because every team we're playing, um, really minus Creighton, um, actually, no, I wouldn't even give Nunji that respect either. The, the rest of the teams that we're playing don't have big men that can necessarily guard Watson effectively. Um, we saw that against Villanova. I still think Eric Dixon is the single most overrated big man in the conference right now. People are salivate over him. And then what? He he can't defar- He can't guard Nate Watson. Um, and then and the Enzi, uh, the Bryce uh, duo from Butler. Neither one of them could guard Watson. He had 22 points, 10 of 15 from the field. He is the single best center in the Big East right now, and it's this week put it on full display. He is rightfully deserving of honors this week. What is what did he average? 21 and a half this week, Matt. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. 21 and a half they, across two games. Yeah. Wait, they said 21 and a half, but I actually have his stats up right here. It should have just been 21. He had 20 against Villanova and 22 at Butler. That's that's 21 points a game. I don't know why they said 21 and a half in the official uh, official release this morning. You know, what? we'll give it to him. He earned, he earned it. We'll give it. We'll give him the 21 and a half. Um <laughs> But, you know, this this is crunch time now. This is where the seniors really shine. This is Watson's team in, in every respect. Um, and I know there, there's a lot of talk about how this is a team effort and everyone plays for the common goal. And I still think that is 100 percent true. But 
each team has a leader, regardless of if it's a team effort, regardless of, of everything that holds true to the identity of this Providence team, there has to be a leader. And the leader is Watson. He's the only true player on this team that's been there for five years. He is the player that is at the top of every scouting report. And you see it, too. You see this unfold on the court. Every team plans for Watson. When you put Ed Croswell in, you get a different defensive look from every single team that we've played. So he is the most influential player on the roster. And this is the time of year where it starts showing. And I think the past week, specifically this game at Butler, really put that into the spotlight for him. Agreed. And yeah, and you look, I mean, you talked about how these teams left. It's going to be interesting to see how they're able to guard Watson. Obviously, the last game of the season at Villanova. We just saw Watson put up 20 points against them. He put up 20 points against Villanova in the regular season finale last year. We've seen him do it before. Creighton, the Friars has not played Creighton this year, but he has a size advantage on, at least a weight advantage, on Ryan Kalkbrenner. And he scored 29 points at Creighton last year. And in the home game, he had 13 points, eight rebounds. Not a bad performance there either. But yeah, Xavier, and I think this is where we can start to look ahead to the Wednesday game. At Xavier is where he had he was held scoreless for the first time since freshman year. And they're going to be playing a Xavier team that is desperate. Xavier, the last couple of years, has really struggled down the stretch. They've had opportunities to kind of seal a tournament appearance by winning one or two games in the last two weeks of the season, and they haven't done it. This is going to be huge. Xavier comes in having lost four out of five. That includes a home game to DePaul and a road loss at UConn last time out where they looked miserable through stretches of that game. This is a huge game for Xavier because you know that they're going to come out firing. If Xavier is able to beat Providence, then that's probably the biggest win on their resume and a resume that could use a little bit of help at this point right now. And they were very close to beating Providence earlier this season. Yeah, Matt, don't kid yourself. Um, We go into this Wednesday game uh, with a huge target on our back. And Cooley says, you know, the next two are at our crib. You know, let's pump up the atmosphere, fill the dunk, get the Friar Fanatics all lubricated, get them in there. All that aside, this is Xavier's biggest game of the year right now because they're a team that, while, yes, most bracketologists have them in the field, they're slowly slipping into that bubble territory and they're slipping fast. Um, DePaul's got their goat, you know, and DePaul is one of the worst teams in the conference this year, but DePaul's got Xavier's goat. Xavier only beat him by one in um, Chicago and then they lost to him at home. This is a Xavier team, like you said, Matt, I think you said it perfectly. They're spiraling. Um, the youth of Travis Steele as a head coach has been on full display the past couple of seasons. And you got to think that if they miss the tournament this year, he is in the hot seat. With that said, this is a very tough Xavier team. It took us a last-second three-pointer to beat them at the Cintas Center. So uh, I'm expecting this to be a very tough and a very ugly game. Xavier's playing as desperate as anyone in the conference right now. And the opportunity has presented itself. This is a quadrant one opportunity for Xavier against the top team in the conference to ranked road win. You know, the, it's wrapped up with a nice little bow for them, It's and it's theirs for the taking. We have to guard the yard this week. Yeah, and that's the motto. Guard the yard. You got two home games. And if everything goes right, I mean, you want to look at the big picture of the Big East. Tuesday night, that's Villanova at UConn. Depending on the outcome of that game, these two games for Providence can become even more important. If the Friars get lucky and Villanova loses, 
then the Friars will have a chance to seal up a Big East regular season title with two wins at home this week before they even go play Nova with a chance to go split there and pick up a huge win for seeding and for the resume. That's a lot at play here. And even even if that game doesn't happen, even if Villanova is able to win at UConn, all right, Friars still control their destiny. Win out, you're the champ. And this game in... Yeah, you know Xavier's going to come in and fire it up. Jack Nunji was hitting threes last game. That's something you're going to have to watch for. I, I think this is a super interesting game because Nunji, I mean, Nunji is such a weird matchup for most teams. He's a seven-footer that kind of plays the four and can shoot the three ball, but also, like, his size shows up. He's not a small player. He's no. he's not going to out-physical Nate Watts, but he can, he can block Watson shots. And he's gonna make his, he's gonna make the shots a lot harder just because of his size. It's not like you're going against a six seven Bryce Enzi over here, six eight Bryce Enzi. This is a sizable guy for Nate Watson to be going against. And the flip side is if you have Watson guarding Nunji on the perimeter, Xavier has some guards that can take advantage of the space that's open on the inside. So I think this is gonna test some of the stuff that we've seen with the pick and roll defense and just defending the paint, guarding that yard because Butler was able to score in the paint pretty consistently throughout that game. And I don't think we saw that coming. Yeah. I mean, we definitely didn't see that coming from Butler. Um, to your point about Nunji, he is, um, as I like to say, a matchup nightmare because based on height alone, he should be a back to the basket, big man. But because of his jump shooting, he has the ability to stretch the floor. So for someone like Watson, who is a traditional back to the better back to the basket big man, it becomes a little bit trickier on defense. Um, and I think this is why, you know, we saw Watson was a little bit more on the quiet side last game against Xavier. No points, only two field goal attempts in 18 minutes. Um, and again, this is one of those games where the game plan was to shut down Watson, but they had no game plan for Ed Croswell. So, again, as it as as statistically non of a factor that he was, he was still influential in the way they prepared because Croswell came off the bench and scored 10 points with six boards. So I I think the presence of Watson in this game will be the difference maker. I don't think Xavier has the physical ability to guard him consistently. I think, you know, when you're on the road in a hostile environment like the Cintas Center, you don't want to risk it. I I think when you're at home in front of the dunk, the the cheers of the crowd will power Watson to be able to score more consistently. And at the end of the day, if you're going to give me Watson on Nunji one-on-one in the paint, physically alone, you have to take Watson. I, I, I mean... Uh, Zach Fremantle aside, because he's the the most physically and mentally soft basketball player I've ever seen. Um, Nunji Watson one on one is the matchup I'm looking forward to the most. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think with respect to the, the the physicality and the talent of this Xavier team, I respect them enough to understand that this is this game serves as a serious threat to the Providence Friars but not a threat that can't be neutralized early and often. Um, I I think if I'm Travis Steele, I'm game planning for Watson. And and Watson plays great revenge ball too, mind you. If I'm Travis Steele, I'm game planning for Watson. And as we saw against Xavier, uh, against Butler, excuse me, Watson can kick out. And if our shooters are on, the shots are going in. So it's their funeral if they want to throw three bodies at him. Uh, One of the other factors for this one, 
there's the injury aspect of things for Xavier. They've been without Nate Johnson for a little bit with a knee injury. We don't know if he's going to be able to go. He was held scoreless when these teams met the first time. 0 for 4 from deep. He's at least last season was one of the better three point shooters in the country. He struggled a little bit this year, but Xavier, I mean, they're going to need all the help they can get. The more shooters you can get against this Providence defense, the better for the Friars. It's Al Durham. How bad is the sports hernia? How much can he play? We saw them shut him down for the Sunday game at Butler. I'm not particularly optimistic based on what Ed Cooley was saying after the game. I've been to a lot of Ed Cooley press conferences, and usually when he's talking about we're hoping we're going to get a guy back in X time frame, you can usually count on it being longer than that. And he said, we're hoping we can get him back in the next few weeks. So in the next few games, I'm not optimistic about Al Durham playing Wednesday night and that's going to be huge because Durham scored 22 points including 10 of 10 from the free throw line back in January at the Cintas Center also don't forget too Durham was the one that that identified a trailing Bynum who eventually hit that three pointer to win Um, so don't even forget that Durham was unselfish at the end of the game there and that's why we won Um, and to your point, Matt, I think it's true. Um, you know, this is this hasn't been a secret. It's not it has it's not something that was necessarily swept under the rug. Cooley's been vocal that. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear my dog. Um, <laughs> They're Cooley joining the been, podcast. They always like to be on it. Oh yeah. Well, you know, Pip. Well, let me shut my door. <laughs> yeah. So I I mean, without Durham, Bynum doesn't hit that shot, and we lose that game. With that said, I think it's so important. Um, to understand the context of this too. Cooley has kind of swept, it hasn't been swept under the rug. Cooley's been super vocal about this in a lot of the post-game press conferences is that Durham's been nursing this injury. Um, it's public information now it's, that it's a sports-induced hernia. But, you know, even beyond that, I think, it, we, to, to be honest, I think there's a chance we could see Durham if the game is tight in the second half. I don't think he'll start. I don't think he'll get a lot of minutes, but... If it comes down to it, he is the closer. We do need him. Um, I think as it pertains to Saturday, we were trying to get away with buying Durham some extra rest time before this stretch against, um, how do I put this nicely, an opponent where we otherwise wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We we expected we were going to beat Butler. I think they caught us by surprise. And, you know, not having Durham is, you know, the – the collateral damage of that. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I expect that if this is a tight game, Durham could see some run towards the end, specifically just for composure and free throw shooting. Um, you know, as good as Jared Bynum is, as, you know, gripping the reins and running the ship, if you will, Durham is just as good at, at doing the same thing. And I'd prefer to have both on the on the floor than one, to be quite honest with you. I think yeah. we saw this, too, at late against Butler is we were running some plays where Durham normally brings the ball up and, and Bynum plays off the ball. And A.J. Reeves had to do it. And listen, Reeves hit two of the most important shots of that game. But as a playmaking table setting guard, that's just not Reeves's forte. Um and you could see, you know, he was a little confused. He had to bring the ball up one play. I just I feel more comfortable with Durham in that position and then Reeves. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think you also we got to talk about Reeves here because the Friars were without him in the first meeting between Providence and Xavier. You go back before his injury, the first 
of the seven full games he played before his injury, he scored in double figures in six of them. The one where he didn't, he still had eight points and knocked down two threes. And I think he might be finding his stroke again. He scored 16 points against Villanova. He had eight points at Butler. Did not hit a two-pointer, but he knocked down two threes. And he had both of his free throws. Add up with uh, four assists and three rebounds. And he had himself a pretty decent day there. Do you think Reeves is trying to start to get things going again? Yes, I also think the timing of AJ Reeves's threes at Butler were huge, so huge. Um, the the super informed and my favorite commentator Lisa Byington said, "It's not when you hit the threes or where you hit the threes, but it's when you hit the threes," which makes total sense. You can't um, really say it any better than that. That's how that's how she said it. <laughs> so you know what? That's it's not when or where, but when. It, she is right. Whatever. It is when you hit the threes that matters. <laughs> but it's also not when. It just when. took her away to ways to get there. It's not when, but it is also when you hit the threes. Um, <laughs> but any, anyway, I digress. Reeves hits a three. Manai and Horkler poke the ball away. We get a tur- uh, Butler. We force a Butler turnover. Next possession, Watson kicks out. Step back. Reeves hits another three. Six point swing, all by AJ Reeves to bring us within one. That was probably one of the most influential sequences of the entire Butler game. So Reeves had a terrible shooting night at Hinkle Fieldhouse, but at the end of the day, hit two of the most important shots of the game. Um, like you and said, he was. Yeah, and that's how it was against Villanova, too. He hit key shots in the second half of that game and really found himself. And I think it's obvious when the game gets tight and it's high energy and you need somebody who can elevate his game, Reeves might be Providence's most consistent player in those scenarios. I mean, we've seen Horkler be that guy quite a few times. We saw him do it last game, hitting that last shot. And when you go back to the Georgetown game, at home, he was the guy that knocked down a couple shots late to solidify that one. He's a he's a glue guy. He solidifies things. Yep. But when the tension's up there, when the crowd is going and you need somebody to hit a shot, I really don't know if there's anybody better on the fires than Reeves. And he's shown that the last two games. You know that these next three games for the Friars, they're going to be big games in front of full crowds with loud environments. So I, I fully expect Reeves to keep it going. And it is absolutely a confidence thing with him, too. And this goes back to his freshman year when he hit that buzzer beater at BC. Um, oh. I, I just think, Matt, I, I know that you know what I'm talking about. That was a deep shot. Amazing. And for a freshman, gee, whole, oh, my onions is all I have to say to that. But that's, that's um, one of those shots where he's so young, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know he's not supposed to hit that shot. He, he doesn't know that 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 shot is going to define his in, in his entire career. Um, and, and you and I have talked about this. The expanded Friar fan base has talked about this. And it's the inconsistency, the inconsistency of scoring with A.J. Reeves. If there's anything consistent about his style of play, it's pressures, high pressure, late game situations and being clutch. Um, he has hit so many late shot clock buzzer beating game winning threes for this team that it's I can't even comprehend to count them right now and and just uh, 
this is an important stretch for the team as a whole. But for A.J. Reeves as a senior leader on this team, this is a super important stretch for him to continue his clutchness in late game situations. Yeah, and I think you can make a lot. I, I think Reeves, it's easy to lose him in the shuffle when you're talking about the veterans on this team. Watson's going to draw all the attention there because he is the oldest player on this team. He's been in the Friars program for the longest, and he came for that extra year. This isn't an extra year for Reeves, and nobody thought he'd be here this long. We, we all kind of thought he's going to leave for the NBA early after that first game he had. I remember saying to somebody, after that game he had against Siena where he scored 27 points or 29 points or whatever that was. 29. It was, yeah, it was, whew, well, he's not going to be here next year. Obviously, things haven't gone quite the way he wanted, but this is the first time he's had the opportunity to have the spotlight without David Duke here. And again, we really saw him start to find that before he got hurt. Like I said, six out of seven games in double figures. He went six for 10 from deep in one of those games, four for eight in another one, three, seven in another one. I mean, he had some really lights out performances from beyond the arc. And if he can find that again, Whoa, boy, because this is a Friars team that figured out how to win games without him. Then you add a guy who could really be an elite perimeter scorer who who has the athleticism to drive to the basket and play defense and all that, especially if Durham is going to be down. We don't know when he's coming back. Having Reeves elevate his game, I mean, that's that's what you absolutely need from this team. I'm sure he's going to be motivated to do it. I also think, too, if we're going to talk about A.J. Reeves, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is he has yet to breach the 29-point career high that he set on his first game as a Providence Friar. He yeah. set himself a career high on his very first game, number game number one. Since then, the closest he's come is 28 points in a loss at Georgetown last season, and Listen, you can say what you want. These are young kids. You know he's got to be thinking, like, I want to I want to break that career high. I want to reach the 30s. Yeah, and, and here's the, the thing. I mean, there's one thing Cooley does. If a guy has the hot hand, he's leaving him in. If Reeves yeah. is shooting the lights out from the start, like he kind of was in that game, he missed the first shot and then came back and started hitting him. But if he's, if he's shooting well from the opening tip, he's going to get that volume. He's going to – he's – this guy was a top 50 recruit for a reason. He just has to kind of earn those minutes. You look at the top, all these top games that he has in his career, two of the top three were in his freshman year. He played 30 plus minutes in all of them. And you need that to get that scoring. And it feeds both directions. You're going to get those minutes because you're scoring a lot, but you also need to play well enough to get those minutes in the first place and to get the ball, to get those opportunities. We saw he's in the starting lineup. He's going to be on the floor right from the get-go. So, again, he's going to get the looks. I expect big things from him over the next week and a half. Yeah. The 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 window of opportunity for him in his senior year is closing. I would really like to see him go off the next two games, especially at the dunk. You know, senior night is Saturday. But before we even look to that, Wednesday night against Xavier, really would like to see him go off. Yeah, and this is, again, this, this is the biggest game we've played all season, and that's how it's going to be the rest of the year. There won't be a game we play that isn't the biggest game we've played all season in a lot of ways, the most impactful game. Now you know, all right, you're four seed. We didn't. We haven't even talked about that. Friars no. can put on the four seed line, which is a little bit annoying, but I'll take it. All right, that's that's where the committee views us. You want to move up? You got to win games. You got to do it in style. Especially if you want to be a three seed, if you want to be a, a two seed even, you can't just beat Zave here. You got to blow Zave here out. 
You can yeah. do it. <laughs> this is a Xavier team that has started slow. You combine that with a Friar crowd that'll really get going and a team that shoots well, especially with the crowd behind them. That's the, the Friars, you can blow out Xavier, but you that, gotta bring your A game from the start. You can't you can't open the game like you did against Butler, missing uh, one of your f- first nineteen after you open the game after in the after the game's first two minutes. It is absolutely possible for us to blow out Xavier. Um, and we talked about things from the Xavier standpoint. This is a must win. It could be a turning point in their season. But from the Friars standpoint, if you look at this game, you know, analytics aside and you look at what it means to the season, this is a, a great opportunity to kick a team while they're down. Um mm-hmm which is something other than Georgetown we really haven't done this year. I don't think we've kicked a team while they're down, while they're on a losing skid. Xavier comes to town. They're not. They're really not playing their best basketball right now. They're struggling to find wins. This is a great opportunity for us as a team to just kick their teeth in, watch Fremantle mentally struggle the entire game with the officials, and really like capitalize on their inconsistencies. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, there's all the solidarity, all of the solidarity in the Big East, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, at this point in the season, it's do or die. You win or you sacrifice your seating in the process. So yeah. we need to beat Xavier again. Yep. I won't look a gift horse in the mouth. If we beat them by one, I'll be happy. If we beat them by 25, I'll be happy. We just need to beat them. Yeah. And you know what? You talk about a Xavier team that's looking for revenge. Let's not forget last season after they beat the Friars. They came into Providence with four game, well, Wednesday night game with two weeks left in the season. Essentially the exact same scenario. Friars beat them by 15 in that one. You go back a season earlier, it was their second to last game of the regular season. And they were at a point, they were 8-8 eight and eight in Big East play. They were going to be a tournament team as long as they won one of their last two games. They didn't win either. They lost in the first round of the Big East tournament. That all started on a Wednesday night at the Dunkin' Donut Center where LaJuan Pipkins put them away late. You know that this coach, these players are going to remember those games. This is this is a huge revenge game for Xavier. They and they yep. they're going to come out motivated. They're going to come out firing. You know that this crowd, this crowd might intimidate them, but this is a veteran team, and it's not going to scare them off early. You got to I be. Mean, yeah. You can count like especially when when you play Creighton on Saturday and you're going to play an inexperienced team or you're playing the DePauls of the world. Yeah, the crowd's going to help you out a ton in games like that. In games like this, no. You got to you got to earn it on the basketball court first before that crowd's going to make any difference in how things happen. And again, I think the Friars can do it, but you got to find a way to defend Jack Nunji. And you, you probably got I, I think you want to force some turnovers against this team. I think that's the one thing we haven't seen from this defense is really anything that gets an offense out of a rhythm early on. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that, too, Matt. I think Paul Scruggs is the type of point guard where. He's not necessarily sloppy, but his play is inconsistent enough where you should be able to poke the ball away from him a couple of times. He had two turnovers the last time out, uh, you know, and this is going to go back to matchups, too, and the status of Durham and who really gets the defensive assignment of Paul Scruggs. Um, if, if we if we can force some early turnovers and get some points, you know, I, I think that's going to set the pace and set the momentum and the tone of the entirety of the game. But again, it, it's all about matchups and who's healthy, who's guarding who. Yeah, you know what? You know it would not shock me at all here to see the Friars play a lot of zone against them. Oh, because God, one, yeah, this is not a Xavier team that shoots the ball from deep particularly well. 
they shoot 32.5% this season. That's outside of the top 200 in the NCAA. You combine that with the fact that their point guard is six foot five. And if the Friars don't have Al Durham for this one, he's probably your, your, he's not, he's your best all around point guard. He's better on defense than Bynum is. He's not quite as good as Breed is, but he's going to get most of the minutes. From a size perspective, you can match up Durham against Paul Scruggs. You cannot be putting Jared Bynum on Paul Scruggs for any length of time because that's a a huge size advantage, and Scruggs is quick. That's going to be tough. The other thing is if you play zone, then if Scruggs is not Scruggs, if uh, Nunji is going to go outside of the paint, then Watson can stay at home against Fremantle or whoever else Xavier decides to put down there, and they could try to clog up lanes for the guards. Yeah, exactly. Very well put. Um, and that's also not a knock on Bynum. It's just it's a clear size um, advantage for Paul Scruggs in that one on one matchup. Um, yeah, we saw this and we we saw this happen back in 2020 when they had uh, when they went down to Villanova. The Friars played with Luan Pipkins and Malik White as their backcourt for most of that game. It's an undersized backcourt. They played all zone, and it worked. Even against yeah. the shooting team, it worked because the guys are pesky. Bynum is pesky, but he really don't want that one-on-one. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have much more else to say about this, Matt. I, I think you know a lot is going to speak for itself on the court. This is right now the most important game of the season for us. Um, it's also the most important game of the season for Xavier. So keep that in mind. If you're a fan and you're going to the game, be loud as hell. Be rowdy and hold nothing back, please. I'm going. I'm going to be loud and rowdy and screaming my brain out. So it, it, this is the time of year where the Dunkin' Donuts Center gets really fun if you're a Providence fan and really annoying if you're an opposing team fan. So let's just, let's just keep the environment alive. You know, Uh, who cares if you can't, if you don't have a voice at work the next day. Exactly. One last thing before we move on and wrap this up, a people came out today. Friars drop out outside of the top 10. They're down to 11. That works for me. That, That fits with what we saw in the past week. I think, this, I mean, and I went through and I, I did this myself because I wanted to say, all right, if I'm an AP voter and I'm looking at things this week, how would I do it? And I, I, the first thing I started with was the way Providence and Villanova played. You swap them. One goes to eight, the other goes to 10. The Friars drop into 10. The other thing, Texas Tech had won a hell of a week. I think they had two ranked wins, including a win at Texas. Uh, top, they were, that was the team that was named in the top 16 by the selection committee. They were the 16th yes, team. it was. Huge win for Texas Tech. They're going to jump Providence. They're up to nine right now, and that's fair to me. They had a good week. The AP rankings work like power rankings to some degree, and even just overall resume, that's a huge week for Texas Tech. So I think 11 seems about right. The Friars take care of business down the stretch here. It's going to be a top 10 matchup at Finneran next Tuesday. And the Friars will be, I mean, again, you take care of business the next two weeks. The Friars are going to be a top 10 team at the end of the regular season. Yeah, I agree. I'm listen at this point in the season. I'm just happy to be ranked. And to be quite honest with you, the the way the game went yesterday, you know, there were points in the first half where we were saying to each other, we're going to drop to 18, you know. Um, So uh, at that point, you know, 11 is fine. You know, 11, 10. Honestly, at this point in the season, what's the difference? You're top 15 team in the country. You're playing the best basketball the program has seen in decades just soak up the moment. Enjoy being a top 11 team in the country. 
get back to business on on Wednesday. Beat Xavier. Yeah. Yeah, that's all it is right now. Take care of business. Do your thing. Let's enjoy this as it happens. We're what? 10 and 1 now in games decided by five points or less? Yep. Do I have that right? Yeah, that is just, that is an absolutely ridiculous figure. So let's just keep it going. I mean, and that's all you can do. Hopefully, no more close games. Let's get some blowouts here, but keep winning. That's all that matters. Wednesday night. Friars are back. 7 p.m. Eastern, CBS Sports Network at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. It's going to be the 17 and 9, 7 and 8 in conference play. Xavier Musketeers coming into Providence to face your 22 and 3, 12 and 2, first place in the Big East, Providence Friars. This is going to be a good one, folks. As uh, John Rothstein says, get your nitroglycerin pills. Get your pop. Yeah, head to the grocery store on Wednesday or even tomorrow, Tuesday. Make sure you got your popcorn ready. Make sure you're in your chair at seven o'clock because you're not going to want to miss a minute of this one. We're going to have some good basketball and we're going to be right with you after for a post game show. So make sure you're staying with us to get our coverage. Follow us on Twitter at the Flex Hoop. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Be, feel free to give us a rating if you like us. If you don't like us, just keep on moving. We're going to do our thing. We're going to keep being lucky, as Ed Cooley likes to say. And hopefully the Friars are going to keep winning. Wednesday night, that's when they're back in action. For Joe Howie, I am Matt St. Jean. Thank you for listening. Go Friars. <laughs>